Hi all. Let me just move to my slides. One second. Okay, cool. Alrighty. So like Terry said, you can, um, you can move the little box of faces if you like. You can move it around the screen if it gets in the way or you can change it to seeing no faces or seeing a couple of faces or just my face, whatever you like. Um, that's an option on your screen. So, so let's get into this passage. I thoroughly recommend having the Bible passage open before you. I'm going to be jumping around a lot or a bit. And I'm going to be referring to verses all the time. If you don't have the Bible passage open before you, you're going to sort of get a bit lost and, and you won't get as much from it. So please have the Bible passage right there before you. All right. I'm going to pray before we continue. So please pray with me. Our great God, um, please give us eyes to see and know more deeply in our mind and in our hearts your love. Help us see your love and by that, change us to be more like you, more loving. I pray that you do this through your word and by your spirit tonight. Amen. So, okay. So we have another love passage before us. You might remember there have been two so far, two love passages um, in 1 John. 1 John's a bit circular and, and um, the argument's circular. And so love has come around again. In, and in this passage, love is mentioned 27 times. That's a lot in a short passage. Uh, the focus tonight, or in this passage, is, is reasons for our loving. Reasons why we should love. Last time I spoke about love, I talked about what love is and what love isn't. Tonight is all about uh, reasons for loving. And if you think about it, I think it's a very timely topic. Um, there is a fair chance that we will have to love in ways we're not used to loving in the next week the next two weeks, three weeks, in the next months. We're going to be asked, if we're attentive to our, our neighbours and our family members and our church members, we're going to be asked to do things we're not used to doing. We might have to um, help with shopping. We might have to just call up people more regularly to make sure that they're okay alone or older people to make sure they're okay at home by themselves and that they don't need anything. We're going to be asked to do things we're not used to, to doing. We're going to be asked to do loving things. And so I think it's, by God's goodness and, and grace that he has put this passage before us for tonight, that we can think about the reasons why we ought to go out of our way to love in a sacrificial and a costly way. So I'm really, ex I'm really glad that um, this passage is our passage for tonight. All right. So like I said, tonight's focus is all about why we ought to love. So when you are asked to do something you don't want to do, or you haven't had to do for someone before, or maybe even um, fork out maybe even help people financially if you're in that position or, or just go out of your way, I want you to remember these reasons. So reason number one is that we ought to love one another. We should love one another because from verse seven, love comes from God. That's the first reason. We should love one another because love comes from God. And that's in verse seven. If you have a source for something, especially something that's scarce, you've got a secret source, you'll be okay. 
when I say source, I mean S-O-U-R-C-E. Like if you have a secret source of toilet paper, you'll be okay that empty shelves won't worry you. A source for something is really important. The first reason John gives us to love is that it, it comes from God and because God is the source of love. Okay, so look at verse 8. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And then halfway through verse 16, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So notice that it doesn't say God loves as if it's something he does, like God creates, God judges, God sustains all things. It doesn't say God loves. It says God is love. Love is essential to God. It's central to his character, to who he is. And, and the reason why we can say that is uh, because of the doctrine of the Trinity, by the way. Um, forever and through all eternity, before anything else existed, God loved. The Father loved the Son in the Holy Spirit, and the Son loved the Father in the Holy Spirit. God forever has been relationality, has been love. God is the source of love. He is love. So I'd like you to imagine for just a moment holding buckets of water. Okay, you've, you've got a bucket of water and you don't have much water in your bucket. The water in your bucket represents how much you are loved and in turn how much you're willing to love and serve others. Okay, so if you only have so much water in your bucket, you might be willing to give some water to other people if their water is running really low you might be willing to give them a bit or you might be willing if they're willing to sort of uh, give you something in return when, when, when they have some more but true Christian love flows from a never ending source it's as if our bucket has a hole in it and through that hole a hose has been put in it and this hose is forever running God's love liberates us from the fear that we'll ever run out. This is what a Christian believes. We have a never-ending source of love, and it's God. And so since our buckets are continually filled up by the love of God, we're free to pour out our love to others in service to them. So that's the first reason to love. Love comes from God. God is love. He is our source. We have what we need, in other words, to love. We're not going to run short. Uh, that's the first reason. Uh, when I was playing cricket, I often have cricket analogies, you might have noticed. When I was playing cricket and I was out of form with the bat, my coach used to um, tell me to, and this is what I ended up doing uh, a lot, he'd tell me to whisper to myself as the bowler was running in, watch the ball, watch the ball. And so if you watch my lips, um, when a bowl was running in, you, you, you would have seen them saying, watch the ball, watch the ball. Um, when we're feeling empty, we look to God. We look to God. Okay, I'm going to refer to that in a second. Um, so that's reason number one. Reason number two, let us love another because God has loved us. So look at verse 9 to 11. Verses 9 to 11. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, 
Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So what does it look like when the God who is love, who's pure love, what does it look like when he acts most decisively in history? What does that look like? Imagine, imagine what that might look like. If you're a Christian, you might sort of know the answer what that looks like. Look at verse 9. The beloved, it looks like the beloved son coming into our world so that we might live through him. When pure love acts, it looks like verse 8. This beloved son being our atoning sacrifice for our sins. One way to assess how loving an action is, um, is to ask the question, what's the cost? That makes sense because essential to the definition of love is sacrifice. We talked about that a few weeks ago. So, for instance, when a, a big corporation um, donates a, a tiny percentage of their profits to a, a good cause, how loving is that action? It's a good action, no doubt. But how loving is it? And according to the, the scriptures, it, it might be considered not very loving. It's not very costly. I don't want to have a go at big corporations for making donations, but I'm just sort of going by the definition of love. Uh, it's not that loving. For God the Son to enter a world set against him, to take on flesh, and to do that, to take on flesh ultimately so that nails could be put through his wrists for us, so that the one who is life would have life beaten out of him for us. That is love most pure and undiluted. That is the most costly love there is. The eternal God leaving his heavenly dwelling for us, coming into a world set against him. Let us love one another because God has loved us. I was just saying before that when, I'm, when I was out of form with the batter, I was reminded by my coach to, to say, watch the ball as the, the ball was running in. But more specifically, what we should say as Christians, um, I, I said we should fix our eyes on God, but more specifically what we should say as Christians is um, we should fix our eyes on God and his most decisive act of love. That's what we should fix our eyes on, on the cross, in other words. The cross where Jesus died for our sin is where our love is renewed. It's where it's rejuvenated. It's where it's refreshed. It's like the well that we receive our water from, the cross. So uh, it makes sense then of, of why in our services all the time, we uh, refer back to the cross. So when, when we confess our sin, the first thing that the service leader does is to take our, uh, our sort of spiritual eyes to the cross. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're centering our life together on the cross. And when we sing together, we, we often uh, sing words that are describing what happens at the cross in just beautiful language. So, for instance, in a moment, we're going to listen to a new song. And these are some words from that song. I haven't been using my PowerPoint. I'm not good at using my PowerPoint as I speak. <laughs> All right. So here are some words from a song we're going to listen to in a second. Um, Come behold the wondrous mystery, Christ the Lord upon the tree. In the stead of ruined sinners hangs the lamb in victory. See the price of our redemption, see the Father's plan unfold, bringing many sons to glory. Grace unmeasured, love untold. So maybe instead of you know, saying to myself, watch the ball as a Christian, we should be saying to ourselves and to each other, watch the cross, watch the cross. That's where you see God's love most 
profoundly demonstrated. Okay, so that's the two reasons so far. God is the source. Let me go to the next slide. God is the source of our love. Love comes from God, so we ought to love one another. And uh, God has loved us. That's a cross. And finally, or thirdly, um, not finally, uh, let us love one another because by our love, we know that God lives in us. That's the house there. So what are, what are three things that should always be together? I was trying to think about this. I think um, bacon, uh, lettuce, and tomato always should be together. BLT. Uh, the Hanson brothers, they should always be together. Uh, strawberry, chocolate, and vanilla ice cream, they should always be together. What are three things that ought to be together always? Uh, look at verses 13 to 16. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. That's number one. Number one, the Holy Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. That's number two. With the Holy Spirit comes acknowledgement that Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 16. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. That's number three. Three things that go together. The Holy Spirit. Uh, acknowledging that Jesus is the Christ and, and loving each other. If you don't do one of those things, it's like having a BLT without bacon. In other words, it's impossible for the Spirit of God to be living in somebody, the Spirit of the God who is love, and for that presence not to be expressed in costly, sacrificial love. That's not a possibility. By our love, we know that God lives in us. It's what God does to someone when he takes residence in their life. So that's my third reason. Let us love one another because by our love, we know that God lives in us. My fourth reason, okay. By our love, God's love is made complete in us. I think this is my favorite, by the way. Um, By our love, God's love is made complete in us. So look at verse 12. Verse 12. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Now that's an astounding verse. Okay, it's very similar to a a verse in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 18. I'll get it on the screen. So it starts the same way. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. In other words, if you want to know what God's like, then look at Jesus because Jesus shows us what God is like. He is a picture of God. He's the word of God. He is God. Look at Jesus and you see what God is like. Now, this verse in 1 John um, chapter 4, verse 12 says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. What that's saying is that, yeah, people don't see God, but they do. Whoa, sorry. But they do see us. They see our costly love. And it's by our costly love that they see what God's like. I hope you're getting a sense of how important our love is. It's, it's telling people what God's like by action. Um, but what does John mean in this verse, verse 12, by the word complete? Um, God's love is made complete in us. I think to understand this, uh, we need to think about planting veggie seeds. Now, if you plant a veggie seed, 
it, the seed has reached its goal or its completion when it gives a crop of veggies. Okay? Or um, on Friday, it was um, our 10-year anniversary and I bought Aryan flowers. If I left the flowers in the garage, which I, oft- I often sort of put them in the garage because she can't see them there, so I can surprise her the, the next day. Um, if I kept them in the garage, that would be useless. They wouldn't reach their goal. But when I give Aryan the flowers, they've reached their goal. The, the action of buying flowers is made complete. The end goal, this is amazing. I love, I love this. The end goal of God's love in eternity past, the everlasting love of God, and the, the end goal of the, the demonstration of that love on the cross and, and the end goal of, of God's love dwelling in us by the Holy Spirit is complete when we love. So when you do that small action, you know, to, to, to check on your elderly neighbor downstairs, to, to call up your family member who's not doing well or who might be lonely, or to, to, to just keep a track of how people are going in, in our growth group or whatever like that. If you, when you do that small action, you are completing that, that love that has uh, been exist, in existence through eternity, <laughs> you know, demonstrated on the cross. It's, it's complete in that moment, that little act. It reaches its goal. You doing something for others, costly, sacrificially. I think that is just astounding. Absolutely. So we see the uh, word complete also in verse 17. Um, Look halfway through verse 16. Uh, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Uh, so not only does love uh, complete the, the goal of God's love in our life, but love gives us confidence on the day of judgment. Okay? It gives us confidence for the day of judgment, our love. So I think the way for us to understand this might be th- through understanding a positive feedback loop. So, um, for instance, if, if you bring a microphone too close to a speaker, the speaker makes a noise... Which is, then ampl- uh, which is then picked up in the microphone and then amplified in the speaker. And then it's picked up in the microphone, this increased noise, and it goes round and round. It's a positive feedback loop until you get this screeching you know, noise that we all love at church. It's a positive feedback loop. Luke, I think that's what is happening here. So look at the screen. Positive feedback loop. Positive feedback loop of love. Um, first, the purple one, God's love for us. Seen on the cross, we see that and it makes us more loving. Okay? And then as we become more loving, we see in our lives more evidence that God is in us and we in God. So we see God's love and then we see in our lives evidence of that love. And so it confirms to us that God lives in us and we in God. And that in turn increases our confidence in God's love for us. And so we look back to the cross and God's love and then it goes round and round and round. And um, this is, the way I've put it, um, is the... <laughs> Crescendo of the Christian life. The ever-increasing, upsurging experience of God's transforming love, which is amplified not into a squeal, but into confidence. Confidence before God. We have this confidence that we are his child. But, verse 18, um, you'll see that fear, fear is a spanner in the cogs. So look at verse 18. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. 
The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So this isn't referring to the healthy sort of reverential fear that we read of in the, in the um, Old Testament and in parts of the New Testament. This is, this is different. This fear is the corruption of confidence. This type of fear takes our eyes off God and other people and it puts them on ourselves. It's sort of self-concern. We, we get worried. And so we start worrying about ourselves. It's a corruption of confidence. It's sort of like when Peter... Um, was walking on water. And when he was looking at Jesus on the water, he was walking with confidence. He was standing with confidence. But when he looked around at the waves and the wind and all that stuff, he lost his confidence and he began to sink. It's the same with God's love. We need to look at God's love on the cross. And when we do, we will stand in confidence because we know that at the cross, our our sins were paid for. And we are children of God. We, we, we look at the cross and we stand in confidence. And as we stand in confidence looking at the cross, we will grow in love. It's a positive feedback loop. So they are my four reasons or the, the four reasons God's word in this passage um, gives us to love. Let us love one another because love comes from God. He's our endless source. Let us love one another because God has loved us. Let us love one another because by our love we know that God lives in us. Let us love one another because by our love, God's love is made complete in us. I think the challenge um, of this passage is going to be seen in how we relate to people who need a bit of extra love in the next few months. Let us allow these reasons the reasons that we read of in the passage, let let them lead us to do things we wouldn't otherwise do. Things that are costly, things that might be financially costly, that might be costly in time, that might be costly in energy. I'm doing doing the shopping for my neighbours at the the moment and I'm doing stuff for the lady downstairs and it's made my life more busy and I'm I'm just feeling a little bit more tired, but but that's, that's love. Um, we will all be challenged to step outside our comfort zone to love others. So I'm going to finish by reading the final few verses from verse 19. Verse 19. Um, We love because he loved us first. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. I'm going to pray quickly. Please pray with me. Um, Father, we pray that you help us see um, your love more and help us love in return. Please make us more like Jesus by the power of the Spirit in us. Amen. All right. Um, Terry, do you want to unmute yourself? Nice.